forbidden and banned, the bane of bureaucrats, exposing mainstream media's weapons of mass distraction. Flying under the radar and dropping truth bombs on tyranny. It's Liberty Now. Yoda, hello and welcome to Liberty Now, the show for discerning minds and common sense. We seek the truth and can think for ourselves. I'm your host, John Verd. Thank you for stopping by. I'll be here with you every week, looking beyond the headlines, asking questions, and talking to people who are making a difference. Today, I'm privileged to be speaking with renowned author Patrick Wood. He is a leading and critical expert on sustainable development, green economy, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, and historic technocracy. And he is the author of one of the best books I've ever read on connecting the dots between these topics. Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. Patrick, hello. Hello. <laughs> Good to be with you. Yeah. This message is going all over the world. And this is a good thing because it is a global problem and it can only be solved on a global basis, I'm afraid. Yeah, I can appreciate that more and more. How are you doing? We're in the Phoenix area and it's very oh, okay. hot right now. Uh, we, we're not as hot as Death Valley is in California, but it's, it's been warm summer and lots of stuff going on. On the other hand, activity, yeah, freedom wise, we're hopping like we've never been hopping before. Yeah. We've got our fingers on a lot of things and um, you know, we're kind of hanging by a thread right now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, like, like you guys are, I know it's like, I, stuff is happening in your country and in Australia. I never, ever thought would happen. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. The same. It, it, fast too. It, yeah, it really has accelerated. I've, I mean, I've had a sense that this kind of thing, this, you know, we'll call it creeping tyranny has been going on for a while. Um, but I never expected it to get to this point or this quickly. But it is, it's a reality. And um, it's, it it's one I'm doing everything I can to avoid the consequences of it as best we can. Um, I understand you just uh, completed an intensive book tour. How did that go? Well, it's, it's going good still. I, I do a lot of writing and still, and uh, I do a lot of radio interviews and stuff like that. It, it's not about books necessarily, even though I, I have books and I, I, do like to sell them. Obviously I can't give them away. If I could give them away, if I was a billionaire, <laughs> I'd, I'd print up enough and give them to everyone in the country. Well, <laughs> yeah, no. I do it right away. But, um, you know, it's a necessity that we have to sell books and it's yep. just a lot of people today just don't want to read. They just flat out will not read. And yeah. Videos, they'll, you know, look little short bumper sticker articles, but right. Uh, you know, yeah. that's funny that I think that was one of my big motivations to, um, to start doing a podcast because I, you know, I love to read. I grew up, my father was a librarian. I grew up in the library and I've always loved to read. I've been, you know, insatiably curious. Um, and I know not everybody, you know, ha has that background, but I'm, I'm really amazed how many people just refuse to read. I'm like, I show them that this is proof of what we've been talking about. You really need to know this stuff. Read this book, please. And uh, it's hard. It's like pulling teeth. And so um, maybe by putting out videos, people will pay a little more attention. But in your book, you get to a lot of things that have been nagging at me for a good number of years. 
And uh, how long have you had the sense that we're not in Kansas anymore? Probably the day I started writing about globalization back in the late 1970s. That's really yeah. when it hit me that, that it's, there's a rough road ahead. Yeah. And, and modern globalization that we have today was actually born in the early 1970s. Um, there were lots of people who believed in it before that, but nothing had ever really clicked with them, the global elite that is. And um, right. they met with obstacles. They got rejected multiple times in the uh, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And it wasn't until the early 1970s when money man David Rockefeller got into it with his co-founder of the Trilateral Commission, Zbigniew Brzezinski, and they really, they really defined modern globalization. And their idea at the time was to create a new international economic order. Their words, not mine. Right. Um, AKA the new world order. That, but we knew it was serious and we figured, okay, these guys are up to something. And, uh, that, but that's where it started. And their, their, their plan has been very quiet up until just recently. In fact, they would say people like myself and my former co-author, Anthony Sutton, were just wing nuts, you know, with right. conspiracy theorists and like don't know birchers. Anything. But, uh, but now they're out in the open, uh, like the World Economic Forum, for instance, is populated by the same people, same kind of people that used to be in the Trilateral Commission in the early days. The, the multinational corporations, directors and chairmen of the board and uh, you know, leaders of countries and stuff are, are belonging to this group now. Right. The and World Economic Forum. And they're, they're wide open. They're saying everything in the open now. There's no, no hiding it whatsoever. They say, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Right. right. I know. And yeah. it, it amazes me. Like they, they're so conceited. There's so much hubris. Like they, they don't think, you know, I mean, I guess maybe enough people aren't reading their papers. Um, but uh, I certainly have been. Uh, and, and you speak of globalism. I know it's linked to the, the term technocracy, uh, but let's start with the term technocracy itself. Uh, for those not familiar with the term, how do you define it? Well, it's, uh, I always defer back to how they defined it in the early 1930s. So that, you know, what I say about it is not as important as what they said about themselves. Sure. They call it the science of social engineering, number one. Uh, number two, they called it a replacement economic system for capitalism and free enterprise. In other words, free market economics. There had never been in the history of the world, even, even now, another alternative uh, economic system that anybody developed from scratch. These people right. did. They were at Columbia University in New York City at the time, which was the leading center of progressive thought. Yes, And they were scientists and engineers that got together with a, some people outside, but mostly from there to kind of crystallize this new economic system in engineering and scientific terms. And they felt that uh, capitalism was dead anyway, so why not do it? Uh, that was during the Great Depression, 1932. Right. So they did, and they called it, they called it technocracy. It was a resource-based economic system, much like sustainable development is today. I believe they're essentially equivalent functional equivalent, at least. And um, it fell out of favor. It had no support back in those early days in the 30s and 40s. There was no institutional money that they had. Uh, there were no Rockefellers or Carnegie's or uh, MacArthur's or anybody else that gave them any big funding. funding. Right. Um, the, the economy was booming at that time, right? Post-World War II. So 
uh, there's probably no incentive yeah, to look at an alternative. Yep, yeah, things things changed. Um, capitalism came back, you know, didn't die, and the whole concept pretty much lay dormant until uh, 1973 when it was resuscitated by the Trilateral Commission. But they did not call it technocracy. Right, and the Trilateral Commission members or partners are primarily the United States, Japan, and England, or uh, Europe in general. Europe. Just Europe in general, okay. But and this was pre-EU. Yes, but that it was. And that was foreseen long before it occurred. It, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Was that not part of Hitler's future version vision to create a, a single unified Europe? Well, I think there was a lot of interplay there with it. I think some of the ideologues and stuff had been exposed to what happened in Nazi Germany uh, in World War II. Um, was it explicitly? Maybe, maybe not. But uh, I know I know there's a thread of history that runs through it. The, uh, the EU, however, the creation of the EU can be traced directly to members of the Trilateral Commission. Yeah. And it, it was created and instituted without a vote. That's right. And, and, and yet you see trade agreement, I might add, it started out as just a simple trade agreement. Right. From there. Right. Kind of like um, NAFTA. It, you know, since the, the globalization of information, you know, the, the Internet age that we're in now, we've been hearing terms like New World Order, even before that. Um, and now the singularity and, and the, more recently, the Great Reset. Do you see these as distinct separate events or somehow related to the same thing? They're all related. They're all related. At, at is, a, um, as a singular event. And this, this is global in nature. And could you say in a nutshell what you see on what that means for sure. general humanity? Yeah. And, and I, I would point out that the concept of singularity, which was uh, created by the head of engineering at Google, Ray Kurzweil. Right. Uh, that that was his baby. What he's predicting is that there will be a time in the future when AI outruns or exceeds the intelligence of man and will begin to recreate itself and go vertical and possibly dominate all of, you know, all of humanity in the world after that. Right. Uh, uh, Terminator. <laughs> yeah, Terminator style. Right. That's very speculative. And the odds of right. it happening probably pretty slim, but um, Kurzweil is definitely part of the transhuman movement in the world that predicts that man will be able to escape death ultimately and, uh, right. you know, to, to apply high technology to the human condition. In other words, hack the body and become post-human. Ultimately, that's what they're looking for is to be post-human where your, your soul can, and brain can be downloaded into a computer and re-uploaded into some other entity whether it be a spaceship or a, right. an android or somebody else's body for that matter. Very right. science fiction. It, it, um, and it's interesting, like the, throughout the entire concept, the, the whole ideology of all this is, it sounds very much like a religion. Uh, another one that, that far precedes it. It's, it's, it. I don't know if people who are acolytes of this are, you know, really realize that it is just as much a religion, you know, we, we're going to overcome death, but it's, it's sort of way, a counterfeit. The way yeah. The way they're running science right now, um, it's like, get away from my body. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh I, my gosh. Don't, don't touch me. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, it gets into some speculation. I mean, I, I, I don't have 
proof other than what I've heard from, you know, scientists or, or other doctors about some of the things that are in these uh, injections that, that we're seeing. Graphene oxide being one of those things. Um, I don't know that that's been proven yet or not, but there, I have seen research papers and patents for its use in um, tracking and tracing, um, you know, looking at the bigger picture. I guess it wouldn't surprise me if those kinds of little extra things are in these vaccines. But again, I, you know, I, I just want to talk about the stuff that I can prove, you know, and, and exactly. demonstrate, but. Um, well, if you look at the, if you look at the world economic forum today, you'll find two things on their website. One has to do with the great reset, which yep. mostly concerns economic issues. They, they're looking <laughs> to build back on the scorched earth policy of destroying capitalism, free right. to build this new technocratic system on top of it. But, there's another thread to the Great Reset that people, most people, commentators don't talk about, and that is the threat of transhumanism. Right. Um, Klaus Schwab and most of his high officials at the World Economic Forum are totally bought into the concept of transhumanism, where technology is going to uh, be able to change the human condition, in particular genetic technology. Um, they're very much in tune with the modern transhuman movement there. There are many articles on their website, in the blog area, for instance, that, that deal specifically with transhumanism and how this technology is going to reset the human condition as well as society. So it led me to make the statement because technocracy and transhumanism really are two different topics. It should right. be treated differently. But trans. Uh, Technocracy is to society and the structure of society as transhuman is transhumanism is to the people who are going to live in that society. So right. they're going to recreate a new society, a new economic system, new type of structure of society, but they also want to change the nature of humanity that's going to live in that new society. So when Klaus Schwab talks about the, the great reset, there, you need to kind of consider these two concepts together because it's a total reset. They're going to reset you and me right. and reset the world system at the same time. Right. Uh, yeah. Physically, very, genetically, and, and economically. And that answers one of my questions. I was wondering, you know, when you talk about the topic of, of technocracy, do you see it primarily as an economic system? That, that's only part of the picture. It is. That's the but social I'm, engineering part, I guess. Right. Scientism I, is like a Siamese twin to technocracy. Right. Okay. They're, they're joined at the hip. That's a good way to put it. Um, so. And in, when we're talking about the topic of economics, do you have an opinion about Austrian versus Keynesian economic schools? And um, anybody that isn't familiar with those terms, um, I, I recommend that, that you go look them up and, and see what the differences are. But do you, do you have an opinion? Well, I studied Keynesian economics in college uh, under my economics degree, and it was useless. Oh. Totally, none of it worked. Okay. After I yep. got out of college, I discovered the Austrian school of economics and studied it just as probably with more intent than Keynesian theory. Right. <clears throat> and it answered a lot more questions than um, than anything else that I'd ever studied in college. Um. There's a problem, however, with all the tools of Austrian economics, and there are many that are quite different than Keynesians you know, studying Keynesian economics. Okay. Problem, the problem right now with Austrian economic theory is not that it can't answer questions about our current economic system, 
right? Like what's right. going on today with our price-based, uh, currency-based um, supply and demand system. Right. But it has none of those tools have any ability to look at technocracy and try and make sense out of it. Right. And because of that, there's been no serious economist in the world. There, well, I'll, I'll say there's a couple of exceptions now, just recently, but there have not been any certified, if you will, I don't know, educated economists like professors at university who have been able to look at technocracy and make any sense, even though it's a replacement economic system, even though sustainable development is the biggest thing that's ever hit the world. Right. They can't make sense of it. They can't make any predictions, any forecasts. They can't say, well, okay, will it work or not sort of thing. Right, because tools were not built to understand anything about a resource-based economic system. They just simply don't work. So it's kind of like uh, you know, let's say that you were, uh, say, had a PhD in entomology, which is the study of bugs. Okay, yeah. very bright guy. You went to school. You did a lot of study. You wrote a thesis about bugs, maybe grasshoppers, whatever. And then somebody grabs you at the university and says, uh, could you write a paper on the, the, the physical uh, aspects of black holes? <laughs> right, right. Oh. <laughs> well, right. Well, now I know the different kinds of bugs and I know how they multiply and yada, yada. Right. But none of what they ever learned to analyze insects would work at analyzing black holes. Right. Well, if, if the Austrian school were a living organism, you know, it doesn't have antibodies for something that it's never been exposed to, I suppose. I hope, but so far I have, so far I've, I've probably in the last, oh, I don't know, 10 years, I, I've asked dozens of economists to give me a read on technocracy and on sustainable development. They can't do it. Right. It, I mean, I, I know it's not right. I'm not saying they say, oh, that's a great thing. They're not. They say, well, it sounds really crackpot to me. It sounds just like another utopian dream that can't possibly ever work, but that's about as far as it goes. Right, right. And I, I feel like we're, you know, the, the rebellion against, uh, among a lot of younger people, especially there's a sort of rebellion against uh, capitalism, they're, they're, but they're blaming capitalism for the problems of, uh, Keynesian economics, I think, or, you know, or communism. I see the tie to that sort of centralized control. I've never seen it work in any of my reading or history of the world yes. where that works for the benefit of the people. And sustainable development will not work either. The whole right. point of the whole point originally of sustainable development was to grab resources, in my opinion, right? There's a resource grab in the history of the planet. They want to take all the resources away from the people and the nation state, put them into a global common trust and run them for the benefit of man, where they control everything. Right. That doesn't need economic analysis, by the way. That's just they yeah. own everything and yeah. you own nothing. Okay, exactly. Economics. <laughs> exactly. Like and I this is not just a hypothetical. I see this as a real existential threat. And the these talks that the, the discussion of, you know, agenda 21 and, you know, sustainable development. I don't think people have connected the dots, but you look at um, incidents like what happened at the Bundy Ranch in America, right? Where there was a, this giant land grab, ostensibly because they were concerned about the desert tortoise, right? Which turned out to be completely false. So they're kicking ranchers off of their property. I, I just sort of see this as a microcosm 
of you know what's coming and what what has been going on did, did you follow that event at all i did quite as right it was in my home state it was right here oh um, right 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 the bundys lived right on the border of arizona and nevada <clears throat> and their their case was important certainly because it showed how the government was trying to appropriate land from private property owners but right in america over 30 percent of the landmass of america is now directly owned and controlled by the united states government which is not in our constitution obviously but it's uh you know, people ask, well, why, why would they own all that real estate? Well, yeah, why? They, they're taking it out of production. You can't go on it. You can't, you can't mine it, drill it, t uh, timber it, or whatever, unless you have special permits from the people that are controlling it. Right. Same thing is true with all the oil and gas fields in uh, the Gulf of Mexico and around the coast of coastal areas of the United States. Um, you have the United Nations going all over the world, setting aside heritage zones where... Uh, Vast swaths of, of land, productive land, full of minerals and timber and all kinds of cool stuff are declared to be off limits and managed by the United Nations. And there's, there's incentives they give to countries to participate in that, all monetary, I might add. Right. But the United Nations has gone around the whole planet, and I don't know the total number of acres now, the square miles they have under their control. But every time they set aside a heritage zone, development stops on that, on that real estate, typically, completely stops. Right. You say, well, but we want to have national you know, biodiversity and we want to have you know, species preservation and that sort of stuff. That's just nonsense argument for this. It's a, it's a resource grab that, right. that denies productive citizens and running productive companies to make productive use out of those resources. Right. Let me emphasize this point there because this is important. I don't know if, if you ever listened to any James Bond movies. Right. Um, the first movie made by Sean Connery, who starred as James Bond, 007, is called Goldfinger. Mm -hmm. Goldfinger had a very interesting plot. There was this you know, big heavy guy named Goldfinger who loved gold. And so he was buying up gold in the open market. He had gold this and gold that, gold car. And, you know, he loved gold. Right. right. And he had a plan to conquer, basically to conquer the world. So what, what he did the, is the plot kind of thickened. He was going to attack Fort Knox in America. Right. And the, the implication was he was going to steal all the gold out of Fort Knox. Well, right. there's a lot of gold there, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, and you were led to believe that he was going to steal the gold. But as the plot kind of got mentioned, you know, to the end of it, he actually had a small nuclear device that he was going to smuggle into Fort Knox, or not smuggle, but break in, and take this nuclear device then and blow it up right in the middle of Fort Knox gold. <laughs> and you see, the effect of this would be irradiating all of the gold would make it off limits. Ain't nobody going near that gold anymore because you'd, you'd fry and, you know, you got 20 feet from it. Right. So his plan was to take all that gold offline to where nobody could touch it, use it, transact with it, nothing. You couldn't put it on a ship and send it to Europe. It was just dead gold. It was right. like making vaporize and go away. Useless. That was an ingenious plan because... What he was figuring was 
when he irradiated the gold in Fort Knox, the value of his gold would go through the roof, right? Right. This is what happens when you take economic resources away from productivity. Right. The remaining resources get more scarce and hence get more expensive, right? Right. It's inevitable. Precisely. Supply and demand. You take all of the good resources of the world, take them out of production, and what's left all of a sudden becomes super valuable. And we can see this, this crazy resource grab going on all over the world, and it has been for some time. The rich will get richer. The poor will get poorer. Property rights will degrade everywhere, as they, even as they are in America. And the average person will end up with no anything in the end. And that's why Klaus Schwab, curse his name, can stand up and say, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. And I, all I can say is quit gaslighting us for crying out loud. Right. You'll you'll own nothing and be, who's going to be happy if they don't own anything? That's so stupid. It is. Anybody accept such a statement. I don't get it. It, but it's fundamental. Who is going to own all the stuff that you rent? Right. They right. If we're not going to, who is? And and how do you justify that? Well, yeah. And so they're going to own the stuff and they're going to rent it to you when you need it. You don't have to own anything. You'll be so happy <laughs> that you have to rent it. Don't have to maintain it. This is right. just patently ridiculous. And, and again, there's no economic theory here that can explain this in the history of the world. It's just flat out direct dictatorship of resources. Right. And, and self-government and self-ownership and the, the right to own personal property or, or things is fundamental. It's at the core of our constitution and, and, and of all economic and social systems that function well. Without that ability, there's there's no incentive for creativity, for production, for all the things that we've seen, all the things, all the technology that, that we enjoy today uh, benefits from that core fundamental principle. And, and yet they're using this same, all these same technologies to now remove that incentive. They're, they're basically killing the goose that laid the golden egg. <clears throat> That's right. They're they're taking their they, they've kidnapped the goose, <laughs> right? They've kidnapped the goose. Yeah, and uh, one of the methodologies by which this is is being accomplished. You touched on this earlier about wanting to devastate the the current economic system <clears throat> with some utopian replacement. Um, but you're probably familiar with um, the cloud and. Piven plan. Do you see that as just an academic exercise for a couple of professors, or do you see it as uh, an action plan? At this point, I don't see it as an action plan because of them. Okay. But you know, all this stuff had to come from someone, and it was all progressive. Originally, it was all progressive thought that came out of the twenties and you know the teens and the twenties and the thirties. But it took a turn when when technocracy came along. It really did take a turn. For instance, uh, the technocrats and communists hated each other in the nineteen thirties. There was no love lost between them. They hated each other. Right. And the technocrats wouldn't have anything to do with them flat out. And the reason was because communism still hung on to a price-based economic system. Right. Currency, money, you know, uh, supply and demand on money. 
And the technocrats said, that's all wrong, all wrong. We have to, we have to count for everything by energy, how much energy went in, how much energy comes out, that sort of thing. Right. Um, and they still believe the same thing. I think there's an antipathy between sustainable development and communism today, even though there are some overlaps, granted. Okay. But at the core of it, the people at the top have an otherworldly view of it, and they have no use for politicians whatsoever. Right. That Well, that was one of the primary, I guess, motivations or, or original thoughts coming out of technocracy is that uh, they felt that politicians weren't capable of um, leading or governing, and it, it, it needed right. to be scientists who run yes. the world. That's right. They wanted to get rid of all, polit all political structures in America and have like an organization chart that you see in a corporation, for instance, for America. Right. Where there'd be the head technocrat, you know, and then there'd be a bunch of the other, other departments underneath him, all run by appointed engineer, scientist, and technician. No political right. structure, no, no parliament, uh, no, no Congress, not even any uh, city councils or, you know, state governments, not necessary. Science could run it right from the top. That's what they believe. Well, that's all we've got time for in this episode. Thank you for listening. And if you're enjoying this conversation with author Patrick Wood, please stay tuned. We'll pick up the conversation and continue in the next episode. Meanwhile, make sure you go to libertynow.com. Check out the show notes. I've dropped some links in there for you regarding the Cloward and Piven plan and some background on Keynesian economics, Klaus Schwab, and more. So make sure you go check that out. Until next time, be good and keep asking questions.